Just two single guys being single, doing guy stuff. Sporty. Oh, please don't ever say that again. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. I'm Aliza Ora. I'm Lisa Abigail. And I'm Lorena Rose, and we're here to talk about every episode of the 1999 WB series Roswell, one episode at a time and spoiler free. Today we are discussing season two, episode 10, A Roswell Christmas Carol. This is the one where. Ooh, ooh, there's ghosts. There's ghosts in this one, y'all. That's all you need to know. There's ghosts. This episode was written by series creator Jason K. Timms and directed by uh, Patrick R. Norris, our veteran television director. And its original air date was 18 December 2000, which is fitting since it is, of course, a Christmas episode. I'll be honest, I watched the episode and then afterwards was like had an errand to run today and it's all snowy out and I like forgot that it wasn't Christmas. <laughs> like as I was driving around, I'm like, oh, where's everybody's lights? Oh, yeah. I just forgot. This this is also an episode that has commentary if you are a DVD owner and the commentary is with Jason Kadams and Patrick Norris, the director of this episode. And... um. We will have more to say about this, but uh, this is one of Jason Kadem's favorite episodes of Roswell, which it's not one of our favorite episodes of Roswell, but I thought it was interesting. So one of the reasons that it is one of his favorites is he says it's kind of the way what he envisioned for the series that it it has to do with like the the alien aspects of their lives combined with the human elements of their lives, like the struggle between their powers versus potential exposure and how do they use their powers to better humanity, sort of. Um, So I do get that. Like, that is definitely a struggle in this episode, particularly for our hero, Max. Um, But I think that the overall episode has some issues with it. Yeah. So this very first scene here, we get our two main conflicts of the episode are set out right off the bat. And also our least favorite uh, running gag, I guess, is brought up immediately. So uh, A-plot is this guy uh, saves his daughter in the very typical TV movie way where he pushes her aside, but instead of diving after but her, stays, he just stays. stands there and lets the car hit him. Literally always. I'm like, just jump with the person. Right. Run and grab them as you run. I just grab her and like roll onto the snow to protect both of you. Yeah. Whatever. Just This guy whatever. is John Littlefield, who I was like, oh, he's handsome. I wonder if he's been in stuff. He's been in a ton of things. Just like He seems really two. familiar. Yeah. The girl who plays his daughter... Aliza was in an episode of ER. What? Oh, I didn't even look her up. I wonder which one. <laughs> we also, we have an interesting thing here where um, Michael and Max are just like real good buddies. There's no tension mm-hmm. after the events of the last episode where mm-hmm. Max ditched everyone and made a bunch of decisions that impact all of them without consulting anyone else. That's interesting. As usual. Yeah, we see a lot of that in this episode. Yeah, it this doesn't episode... really 
follow from the last one. Yeah, it like stands on its own as this Christmas thing in its own universe almost without mm-hmm. without relying very much on where our characters have been recently. <laughs> yeah. I feel like other shows have done that too. Yeah. So we also get our secondary plot, which sort of follows that same thing because Maria has tasked Michael with getting her a, quote, significant present. And they're talking, he's talking like they're a couple, like they're dating. And this is something that they've been discussing for weeks now. Mm -hmm. So like Max ditched over Thanksgiving and like made all these decisions and like they found out all this new stuff. And then I guess in the midst of all that, Maria was like, buy me something pretty. And Michael was like, yes, ma'am. Yeah. They're like together, but not together. Yeah. You know, they've still been like kind of territorial over each other and like acting like they're together, even though they're not technically together. Mm -hmm. So I think they are for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Um, I do have to call out in this opening scene, um, there is an amazing fake pink tree behind uh michael and max at some point and i want to know um what that tree is doing on a christmas tree lot in roswell and i want it (laughs) i did not notice that one i want it real bad i didn't either but i feel like tess would appreciate it yeah it was straight up pink Mm -hmm. it was definitely not like flocked or like a white it was like a pink plastic tree i noticed that the truck not the one that hits the guy, but the truck that like causes that car to swerve uh, is a padiddle. I don't know if anybody else a played what? padiddle. Do you guys know what a padiddle means? No. Nope. Oh my god! It's when a car has a headlight out. That's padiddle. I've oh. never heard that before. Not either. Wow. Okay. Well, listeners, I'm sure some of you have heard of padiddle. Please let us know that I'm not the only one that made it up. Please let <laughs> the th- them know that I didn't make it up. Thank you. <laughs> So, uh, as anyone who watched this episode knows, because it was repeated many, many times, Mm -hmm. um, everyone thinks it's so funny to call Isabel the Christmas Nazi. Including Jason Kadams and Patrick Norris in the commentary. They, like, giggle like school children multiple times when that is said in this episode. Jason Kadams, by the way, is of Jewish ancestry and thus should know so much better. Like, not... Just, you know, because Nazis are so funny, it's fun to joke about them all the time, right? Yeah, it's always fun. The jokes don't even, it's not even just about Nazis. Some of them are directly Hitler jokes. Yes, they are. And it's supposed to be funny. And like, I don't understand. So it's, and like, we, this happens in the Seinfeld episode, The Soup Nazi too, right? Where like, people are like, yes, I remember what Nazis are. They're people who are very particular about things. Um, And just, just for anyone out there, uh, No, no, that's not what Nazis are. Nazis are agents of state-sponsored genocide who uh, murdered 6 million Jews and at least 5 million others during the Holocaust. Their thing is genocide, not fastidiousness. Right. I know. And and it's come to mean something like somebody who's just like anal. Yeah, I don't understand that. Like, the the murder is really the thing that makes someone a Nazi. The murder and, like, the hate and cruelty. Yeah. And she's, like, volunteering everywhere. Like, yeah, she is, like, really intense and, like, aggressive about Christmas. But she's being a nice person. She's, like, helping kids, doing this, doing that. Like, Yeah, I feel confident that Hitler never put on a doggy fashion show for Christmas. 
or whatever the heck she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we can still have this concept of somebody being so wrapped up in making the holiday perfect that they really end up ruining it for other people, that, like, their need for perfectionism in the holiday and need for it to be a certain way, like ruins it for other people but you can literally call it anything else like your episode is called a raswell christmas carol just call her a scrooge be like isabel you think you're being a tiny tim but you're actually being a scrooge and you're ruining christmas yeah so this is just the first of many times and we don't need to talk about all the other times yeah oh also did anyone notice like After the guy got hit and he's laying there and, you know, Max obviously is really conflicted. Michael's like, no, we have to go. Did anyone else think that it looked like the daughter looked directly at Max? Like Mm -hmm. she like knew. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. The other thing I wanted to say about Isabel in this episode generally is that I felt like the Isabel that we get here is a lot more like the Isabel in the books, which Hmm. she usually isn't. The Isabel of the series is very different than the Isabel of the books that uh, this was based, or was at least based on the first one, and then they sort of came out along with each other. But Isabel in the books, like, organization is her thing, and when she gets stressed out, she'll, like, take out all her nail polish colors and reorganize Mm -hmm. them and, like, alphabetize her shoes by brand Mm. um and she's really involved in stuff and she's on the cheerleading squad and like she does all these spirit activities and i feel like they just decided to give that personality to isabel for this one episode because usually she's so not a you know a joiner like i think they say in into the woods she's just like doing her own thing she's not involved in any school activities except for the very made-up sunshine Mm -hmm. committee (laughs) So it just, this seemed just like really out of the blue that all of a sudden we find out that her whole life she's been really obsessed with Christmas and having everything be perfect this one time of yeah. year. And the rest of the year, she just has a different personality. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there were a lot of uh, moments in this episode where characters seemed to be out of character, you know, just like not like doing things that we wouldn't yeah. normally see them do. Yeah. I'll have a lot to say on that when we get to you with <laughs> Okay, fair. But at least they're in the episode. I know. I do really like Isabel's hair in this. I was reading one of those little books that was like, oh my god, what is wrong with her hair? It's so awful. And I was like, you shut your face, reviewer. Curly hair is pretty. lovely. Oh, her hair looks so nice. Yeah. And her little festive hats and I love the little beanie that looks like a Christmas tree that's like green and has the little like ornament baubles on it. I honestly felt like it was out of character for her to be wearing that. Oh, absolutely. That. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's like tacky. Yeah, it's super tacky, which is why I love it. But it is cute. Yeah, no, totally. I just like wouldn't expect Isabel to be wearing it. But can I just say, it's a Christmas miracle. Both Diane oh and Philip are home at the same time. All of the Evans are sitting around it's a beautiful Amazing. thing. And no one is mad at Max anymore for having run out on Thanksgiving with no explanation. I mean, it's December 18th now, so, or, I mean, and moving into Christmas Eve. So they've had a month to get over to get over it. So yeah, we missed a whole month of uh, Roswellian mm-hmm. activities, which we don't usually have that big of a time jump. Yeah. But yeah, if... So while the whole Evans family is actually present in the Evans household today, all of a sudden, Max starts seeing ghosties in the laundry room, and it's very disconcerting to Isabel, who feels that his his need to do laundry is more important than 
anything going on in her life. Yeah, but importantly, this is not just like an apparition who shows up and just, you know, stares at you. Yes, he, he does. talks. He's like, mm-hmm. I'm here because you suck and I hate you. Like, how could you let me die? How could you do that? Yeah. Like, fair, I would probably say that, too, if I were a ghostie. Yeah, and knew that Max had magical powers. Yeah, this ghost has a lot of um, inside info. Hmm, wonder why that is. After the credits, we go to the crash down where Maria uses my favorite nickname for Michael, where he's like, I need to talk to you. And she's like, yes, space boy. Love it. The best part of their relationship in this episode, in my opinion. Yes. She says it, yeah, she says it twice. It's beautiful. I love it. It's perfect. It's wonderful. And this is also where we start getting our uh, very yes. Christian stuff. Like, this isn't just a Christmas episode. This is a Christian episode. Yes. Where Michael's like, I don't know if I really care about Christmas. And Maria's like, it's the birthday of our Lord and Savior. You give me a present or I'll never speak to you again. And I'm like, Maria, yeah. when did you get so religious? Yeah, where like Amy DeLuca does not seem like the church going type. Not even the like we go just on Christmas type, you know, because there's lots of those people who just go on Christmas and Easter. But yeah, she doesn't even particularly seem like that kind of person. Amy DeLuca seems like the solstice type. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 10-10. Oh, yeah. Amy could give you a whole, like, diatribe on why organized religion is bad and then talk to you about some of the incense sticks that she sells at her store. They probably have little alien yeah. toppers on them that you take off before you burn it. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, there's also a song that I want to call out that's playing. This is Fountains of Wayne, and the song is I Want an Alien for Christmas. <laughs> So perfect. But also, so this is the same song in the original in the streaming. Also mention mentioning this because Fountains of Wayne's frontman Adam Schlesinger, who was also in the band's Ivy Tinted Windows and Fever High, died in 2020 of COVID-19. And so I want to uh, shout him out. He was amazing. So I don't know if y'all know, like, he wrote That Thing You Do for Colin Hanks' dad's movie. Such a great movie. He also wrote a song for Josie and the Pussycats, which I know y'all are fond of. We just watched that last week. Yeah. Wrote the music for the film Music and Lyrics with Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore. Nice. He wrote songs for a whole ton of stuff, including the Tonys. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the thing that I I know him best from is that he was the executive music producer and songwriter for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, one of the best and most underrated shows of the last decade. Also a great show. Yes. And do not be put off by the title of this show, people. It is ironic and they do address it. Watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's very, 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 very good. And it turns out Maria is still bringing Brody his uh, sandwiches with the pepper jack, but no, what is it? No mayo or something? Hold the mayo. Yeah. Also, I saw him in a movie recently. Oh. Oh. Desmond Eskew. Yeah. He's like a one of the main characters of this movie, Go, that apparently is like a well-known movie, but I had never heard of. Um, so it got Katie Holmes and a lot of other people you've seen before. Um, he was he was pretty good in it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Their friendship has like really developed in the month that uh, Roswell has been on hiatus, like her bringing him sandwiches yeah. and like complaining about her, quote, non-boyfriend to him. <laughs> And he kind of cuts her off because he's like, this is not a good time. Yeah. I'll be going away for a couple days, whatever. She's wearing a coat that I really like. It's like brown. It's like a coat or a poncho or something. It has orange trim. It's like very 70s. 
which is kind of her aesthetic for yeah, this episode. Yeah, I was going to say her whole, yeah. it's very like vintage, vintage thrift, thrifted find looks for her this episode. I feel like it's, it's her aesthetic for like a bunch of this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amy probably taught her that shopping secondhand is both economical and eco friendly. Mm-hmm. Leaves more money to spend on essential oils for calming. And pills. <laughs> and pills. She has all those pills uh, in the episode with Courtney. She does have pills. I mean, oh. they're like natural supplement pills, right. but she has many pills. Gotcha. Gotcha. I thought Lorena was like, was going to be like, yeah, and all that ecstasy that she's doing, too. No, I realized pills came out wrong. <laughs> uh, her All of her herbal supplement tablets. A capsule. Her echinacea tablets yeah. uh probably someone else who's been taking a lot of uh herbal supplements wink 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 is kyle yeah who is still heavy on his uh his buddhist quotes and jim is starting to get used to it and they are leaning hard into the just two single guys being single doing guy stuff sporting all the sports ball we watch them all including bowling yeah it's not something we've seen before from them Mm -hmm. um it's well kyle used to play football yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense to me like it doesn't seem like this is a thing jim and kyle would do together also does jim just not work anymore either (laughs) he was the only adult in roswell who ever went to his job and now i was like wait is he still the sheriff He's definitely not on duty this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, is he just like Christmas week? Uh, I'm taking my seniority privilege and I'm making the deputies work and I'm not showing up. And remember Maybe. last season when he was like such a shitty dad and would like forget to pick Kyle up from things and like yeah. even not even last season, the first episode of this season <laughs> yeah. when Kyle comes back from wherever he whatever camp he Football was at. Camp. Yeah. And Mm-hmm. And Jim can't even pick him up. I was about to, I was thinking, oh, well, last season, but like maybe Kyle's near death experience like brought around a new side to Jim and he feels need to bond with his son. But even at the beginning of this season, he was still being a shitty dad. So yeah, he's obviously turned over a new leaf for this episode of Christmas Spirit. Yeah, he's only being a shitty dad to Tess. Yeah. Yeah. Tess, who comes in, is like, good day, mate. I want to pull up a Christmas tree. (laughs) Oh my god, no kidding. Yeah, I do love, though, the comedy bit of her, like, sitting down right in front of the TV, and whether she's genuinely oblivious or is just, like, pretending to be oblivious and trying to, like, block their flow, and they, like, lean one way, and she, like, leans that way in the conversation, (laughs) and then they lean the other way, and she just leans that way. I did like that little bit of physical comedy. She also has different hair this episode. Is this just a thing? Everyone's hair is different. Yeah, because this episode is just different. Nobody is themselves. Everyone's hair is different. Everyone's personality (laughs) is different. Yeah, whatever. They, so they have a plaster Christmas tree. Kyle uses it to dry his socks. Innovative. And their their plan for Christmas is to have a $7.95 all-you-can-eat turkey dinner at the crash down. I'm here for it. I'm sorry. Sign me up. Yeah. (laughs) $7.95 all-you-can-eat turkey dinner. (sighs) What a deal. Yes. I love turkey. Yeah, I don't know how Jeff Parker is making money on that. Yeah. I'm sure if it were today, it would be more expensive. We get our first hints here that Tuss really wants a 
a human Christmas celebration. Presumably she never got anything mm-hmm. even remotely close to that with Nisado. Mm-hmm. And she thought like, oh, now I'm with this nice human family. I'm going to get to do this cool celebration that I've heard about, which I I think maybe seems out of character for her because she's not that interested in human things. But maybe being yeah. with Jim and Kyle has made her appreciate these things more. Um, all of the secret lamp trimming that I can only assume she and Kyle have been doing. <laughs> maybe she's like, well, I enjoyed this human activity, so maybe others will work for me too. And you know who's not getting his lamp trimmed is Michael if he gets an electric toothbrush for his apparently oh, girlfriend yeah. now. An electric toothbrush. Like, really? Although, to be fair, my high school boyfriend, for my, I think it was for my birthday, got me a head massager. Ooh. Um, okay, Aliza, was it a head massager or was it a head massager? Wink, wink, wink. Just a straight up head massager. The kind with all the wiry things. Oh, that's, yeah, that can't be used for other stuff. But like, what (laughs) the hell? Yeah, look, there are thoughtful gifts that you can get people that involve vibration. A toothbrush is not one of them. It's true. I feel like Tess Tess would 100% be like, yes, thank you. I'll be in my room for the next five hours. Yeah. I feel like Maria too, though, you know? Yeah. Maria would pretend she wasn't going to use it. And then she would just like sneak it under her pillow. Tess would straight up be like, I will go masturbate now. Goodbye. She's like, I'll be busy for the rest of the evening. (laughs) The rest of the week, I mean. Yeah. I also, I thought it was interesting that they alluded to, like last year, Michael says it's the first year he and Maria were together and he didn't get her anything. And then I was like, oh, this is when Liz gave Max that incredibly stupid pocket knife. With, like, the label maker label that said Liz and Max forever on it. (laughs) That's what they were doing. Yeah. And Isabel, like, almost faints when Michael (laughs) says he didn't give Maria a present last year. Yeah. She's like, how could you do that? I don't know. I'm in line with Michael's concept behind gifts. The electric toothbrush, the bumper. I'm like, I don't know. I appreciate a useful gift. I agree. I would rather get a useful gift than something that it's just going to sit around in my house for years and take up space. Mm-hmm. Oh, I disagree. I want, give me, give me a thing to sit around with. <laughs> okay. I want, I like experience gifts, like something we can do together or oh, like that's good. Yeah. something personal. Like I don't want, you know, a pair of pearl earrings necessarily, but like something that you oh made God, yeah. or yeah. just like a nice hand-drawn card or like, Lorena makes lovely cross stitches. I feel like those are nice gifts, you know? Yeah. I feel like the bumper is a nice gift, though. I feel like the bumper genuinely ticks all of the boxes. Like, if I had a car repair that needed to happen and I wasn't capable of doing it myself and hadn't spent the money on it, I would appreciate it if somebody took care of that car repair for me as a gift. So the toothbrush is a little impersonal. It is a useful gift, but yeah. it's a little impersonal. But the bumper later, I think, is a very personal gift. I feel like I would be cool with a bumper if it also came with, like, a handwritten card, a note about yeah. why she means so much to him, and, like... I don't know. He could do a cool magic alien thing that somehow served her. Well, maybe he would have done that if she hadn't shown up early and seen the bumper before it was finished. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners could not see that when I said (laughs) that Michael could do something with his powers that served Maria... Ashley got exactly what wavelength I was no, on, I and we exchanged that. a knowing glance. And Lorena did not. <laughs> I was wondering why you guys were laughing. <laughs> I didn't get it either. <laughs> Wonderful. 
see, this is this is what these episodes would turn into if Ashley was on mic with us. It would just be us talking <laughs> about sex all the time. <laughs> I do think Katie Heigl does a good job acting here. Like, she just looks tense and up, uptight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like not even like the the words she's saying. Like, she's just, she's just very good at like exuding this like... I'm stressed out and very busy and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She is really good at this. The writing doesn't make sense for her character, and I found that really no. distracting. I was just yeah, like, when, totally. when did this become what Isabel is? Yeah. But she's good at it, even if it's out of left field. Alas. Then we go caroling at the house of the family of the man who died mm-hmm. a day or two ago. Too soon. Yeah. Leave them Alone. Also, their Christmas caroling list seems to be like they just are targeting sick and sad people. Like, where did they <laughs> yeah. get this yes. list of yep. sick and sad people in Roswell who need caroling? <laughs> yeah, this is pity caroling. <laughs> because after the dead guy's house, they're like, we got one stop left on our list. It's a kid with cancer. Like, where did they get this list? That's a great question. <laughs> so Max is here looking at just like, you know, staking out the house of the family who just lost their father yep yep just being a creeper yeah just standing outside um and of course ghosty man is talking to him and he says he's like but it was okay for you to heal liz parker max is like how do you know that and i say it's because this guy is not a ghost he's just inside of max's head he's just max's guilt right i i wrote in my notes i said because he's not a fucking ghost max have you never watched tv or movies before i feel like i agree with Lorena. i think that he is you know, this, like, manifestation. It's just his guilt personified. Yeah, exactly. But we head on to Cancer Kid's house from the magic sick and sad people list, and we discover that Cancer Kid's dad is Brody, who we did not know had a child, but he does have a child. Yeah, it's almost like the writers didn't think he had a child until they realized that it would make (laughs) this episode work a little bit better for their purposes. (laughs) Almost. It's, it almost seems that way. But they do they do cover it up a little later when he's like, I know I've never talked about her before. It's just hard because it's sad. Yeah, great, great work. Right before this uh, that we forgot about, just a quick scene where Max goes to the crash down and says to, you know, he shows up and is like, mm-hmm. Liz, you said we're friends. I need a friend. So, you know, it's good that they are connecting again or like that he knows she'll be there for him. But yeah, then we're back out. Caroling, I honestly don't think they sound that good. They're kind of pitchy. <laughs> yeah, Maria, I also thought it was interesting that when Maria looks up and sees Brody with this kid, like we sort of see it register on her face, but she does not miss a beat. Like she is professional. Not a beat. She just keeps singing her little song. La 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 la. <laughs> so Liz and Max are talking on Liz's terrace, and he's, you know, confiding in her that like he has been haunted by this guy. That this guy has been following him around, and and this guy, I think the guy's name is John, mm-hmm. which is also the actor's name. Convenient, right? He comes up right behind Max and is like talking and right in Max's ear. I don't know if you guys noticed, he is huge compared to Max. Like, the size of his head is, like, one and a half times the size of... I I was going to say two, but I don't think it's quite two. It's, like, one and a half times the size of Max's head. It's, like, very Riley Finn, Mark Lucas. You know? And Jason Bear is not 
a small guy. I mean, he's lanky, but he is tall. We have discussed how tall all of the aliens are, except for Tess. So, like, he's not a little guy. Like, tall guys usually have big heads. So John is just, like, massive. He's just a large dude. Yeah. And Liz, interestingly, as soon as Max is like, I'm being haunted, she knows, she can tell from the way he's acting that he doesn't mean I feel haunted on the inside. He means... There's a ghost physically standing here with me. Mm-hmm. Right. Singing Amazing Grace yep. <laughs> and pretending to fall off the balcony to his second death. Yep. Wow. Also, when he falls off the balcony, two things. He the position he's in, he looks like he's in like this like Spider-Man position, <laughs> yes. like crouched with his hands out. Also, this brings us to our first laugh of the episode. Whoa. This guy chuckles as he lets himself fall. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which, like, by our definition of a laugh, it is a laugh. So Yes. Well, so before he falls, he calls Max out uh, for, you know, the reason that Max didn't save him. It mm-hmm. wasn't because Max was worried about the other aliens. It was because Max was worried about himself. Which, uh, frankly, fair. He has PTSD. Like, the poor guy. Yeah, it's, he was it's fair. Yes. And he actually he brings tortured. that up, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then after the ghost pops back from his little balcony trick, he tells Max that he needs to restore the balance, which is... No. What? Mm-hmm. I'm confused. I'm sorry. Restoring the balance, maybe if you kill someone, go save someone else. He didn't kill this guy. Which is another reason you know? why I feel like this is just Max's own guilt and not a real ghost telling him to restore the balance. Because Max is feeling guilty that yeah. he hasn't done something that he knows he's capable of. But in his mind, he is scared to because of what happened to him in the white room. Like he's, I feel like it's all a manifestation of his PTSD and his issues. Mm-hmm. So this comes up later in the episode, but I, the thing with the balance, like, obviously we had an episode of that title, right? And we're talking about the balance between, like, energy, spiritual forces. In Leaving Normal, which we reference later on, Max explains to Liz in his whole I'm not God speech that he can't save her grandmother because it's her grandmother's time to die. He could save Liz because it wasn't Liz's time to die. Mm-hmm. So presumably what we're saying is it wasn't this guy's time to die, but Max didn't save him but like how does max know whether or not it was this guy's time to die unless max has a direct line to this higher power that we find out in this episode he doesn't even believe in so where is he getting this information why does he think these things and why would this throw things out of balance but him saving liz didn't throw things out of balance or did throw things out of balance maybe him saving liz did throw the balance off because that wasn't Liz's time to die, according to him, but this was this guy's time to die. Right. It either was this guy's time to die or it wasn't. And the God figure was like, I'm going to kill this guy to test Max Evans and see what he'll do, which is just bizarre land. I don't think any of it makes sense. So Maria goes back to Brody's and he's like, why are you here? She's like, I don't know. I'm just here. I'm like, okay, Because you have cool. a sick child and I feel weird. Yeah, and this is where Brody's like, yes, we have never mentioned my child. She has inoperable bone marrow cancer. Isn't this the same kind of cancer Brody had before he was abducted and cured? Did he have bone? I thought he had a brain cancer. Oh. She also says uh, to him about his daughter, she's very beautiful. And can we just not, like, just 
you know, that's your biggest compliment for someone is like the way they look. Yeah. Come on. She's a child. Yeah. She seems sweet. Oh, yeah. what a fun, creative kid. I like her doll or whatever. Like, yeah. Come on. Don't teach little girls that the ultimate is just being pretty. So many things other than like, she's pretty. Yeah. Uh, Brody compliments Maria's singing, which there you go. There's a thing you can compliment mm-hmm. the person on that's not their list. Nice. But I also thought that it was very deliberate because Michael has been very dismissive of her singing. Yeah. Yes. And Brody is seeing and recognizing this thing that's very important to her. Mm, That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. How could he possibly know if if she's a good singer or know what her voice sounds like when she was singing with all those different people? Maybe she had a solo that we didn't get to see. Ah, that must be it. Why not? Also, I never actually noticed Brody's sideburns until this very scene. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Like, obviously I had seen them, but I'd never been like, oh, that's what his look is. It's the sideburns. The sideburns are like a character in (laughs) their own right. Yeah. Right. I don't know why it took me so long. And uh, Sydney is going to be in the holiday pageant. Very exciting. Something to file away for a few scenes from now. Yep. We go to Michael's apartment where Isabella is coming over with just a huge stack of wrapped gifts because she has done her holiday shopping, of course, early and is prepared. And Michael is quite pleased with the rusty bumper that he has obtained. I like the bumper. I approve. I know I already said that. I still approve. I think it is very thoughtful. It's not looking great now, which I think makes it more meaningful because he put a lot of work into it. He did. It's like super shiny. Yeah, to get it where it is at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. And Isabel is taking the Christmas dog show off her calendar so that she can take Michael shopping. And then we get the terrible Hitler reference that we will skate over because we already talked about it and it's the worst. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Yeah, this is one that's not just about Nazis. It is directly about Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. And this is when we find out that she just wants Christmas to be merry like a normal person. And she gets a little obsessed with it and makes other people miserable, which is... She like yells about it. She wants it not just like a normal person, Lorena, but like a normal human. Oh, good point. She wants to celebrate Christmas like a normal human. Yes. Speaking of normal humans, Jim is picking out frozen dinners. They're at the grocery store in case they don't get to the crashdown because they're so busy watching football. Does the crashdown not have a TV? I've never really seen one, I don't think. Yeah. I feel confident that Jeff Parker would wheel out a TV at the very least for the big Christmas game is a Christmas game a thing to entice customers if they're if their eight dollar all you can eat dinner isn't enough to do the trip. Ugh. But but the point of this is look, Amy DeLuca's here and she's so adorable. And oh let's refer to her by her whole name because we actually haven't <laughs> seen her in season two yet, and maybe we need a reminder of who she oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yes, my daughter Maria has told me all about you, Tess. Ah, uh, yes, this is Maria's mother. Uh, I really enjoy that little exchange where Amy is like, oh, Maria's told me so much about you. And Tess says, I deny everything. <laughs> Which is a fair response, because yeah. listen, if Maria is actually talking to Amy about Tess, she is not saying nice things. No. Right. Right. Um, there is a lot of laughing in this scene. Mm. Yes, there Just is. like every scene that Amy DeLuca is yes. in. Because she brings yeah. joy to our screens. She's very bubbly. 
So we saw a little bit in the last scene with Maria and Brody that Maria seemed like into the whole responsible dad thing. And we see here that Amy is also into the responsible dad thing. And she pushes them to think about Tess's experience. She's like, oh, you have Mm -hmm. a new member of the family, which is adorable. So it must be a really special year. And Jim is just like, ha ha. Okay, I don't know. Then. Yeah, he has this very awkward laugh. Amy invites Jim over for a DeLuca Christmas pie. And just in case we all didn't know exactly what that means, the camera gives us this bizarre shot. Jim's face looking flustered. Jim holding a meaty man meal directly (laughs) over his crotch area. Wow. Show. Wow. I mean, I got it just from, like, the way she said a DeLuca Christmas pie. Yeah. Yeah, we all got it. We didn't need the penis shot. The the meaty man The meaty man shot. Yeah. We knew what you were getting at. I almost never need a meaty man shot. She was was ready to give him a boink again. Almost, yeah. It's been a while. Neither of them have had a boink in a while, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, do we know when or why they stopped dating? No. We assume it just fell apart because they were so busy. Maybe because he left her in the middle of a date. He left her with the bill and all the food. That's true. Yeah, but then wasn't that after that? I know. I think I'll make you a pie. And then Liz and Maria were awkwardly in the kitchen, and Jim was uh, having to tuck his shirt back in his pants. Mm Hmm. Yeah, I think that was after that. You're right. Okay, what is this town square? Because (laughs) it's never been in any episode. All of a sudden, like, Roswell is this, like, bustling town with this, like, town square and all these lights and people. This episode is the only time we have ever seen other people out on the streets of Roswell. My note literally says, where are they even? I thought Roswell only had one street. It does. It's the street that the UFO Museum and the Crashdown are on. And the Sheriff's Department. And then there's an alley. (laughs) I think Liz's hair is so cute with these little barrettes. I love it. And it's all curly, like soft curls in this episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Liz also has a good idea, which is we can put together a care package from the Crashdown for Brody's kid. And then Maria has... A terrible idea, which is, I will be her new mommy. Like, where did this come from? She's not without a mommy. She is visiting her dad for a few days, which means, in theory, the rest of the time she lives with her mother because they are separated. Yeah, like, she very obviously lives with a primary parent who is not Brody. So she has a mother or another father, probably a mother because it's the WB in the late 90s. Or or grandparents or something. Yeah, like... Brody doesn't have primary custody. Someone is taking care of this child. She doesn't need a 17-year-old. Yeah. Who's not even with her dad, which wouldn't be legal anyway. Mm-hmm. And Maria is like, well, my mom was married when she was 17, so it's fine. Like, I don't think And then immediately is like, okay, I, I guess I recognize that that's not like, you know, a shining recommendation for being a mom at 17. Yeah. Yeah, like someone else did it, so I should also do it. And it's funny because then like a minute later, she's like, what was I thinking? A mother? I'm trying to get married? But what I think is really interesting is like Liz says, what is making you think this? And Maria responds, he said he likes my voice. And I do feel like we come back to the thing where she's just so desperate for the attention of a man who notices and appreciates her that she's just glomming on to this guy. He's the first one who's, I guess paid her attention this way which i 
I'm not sure like, I believe really? that. Yeah. But I, okay, whatever. So, yeah, what's <laughs> this advice? It's like, leave them alone. It's Christmas and you're not part of their family. Stop being a weirdo. Yeah. Which yeah. is great advice. I'm like, the girl is sick. Like, she and her father need, you know, their special time together. Hmm? Right. And Maria says, Christmas is supposed to be a time for miracles. We have the Wallflowers song, Baby Bird, playing in both the streaming and the original. Oh, what do you know? And this obviously gives Liz an idea. And then we find out Isabel is just like the director of the pageant, (laughs) president of the Hunger Drive, (laughs) and in charge of many events at the nursing home. Yep. Isabel is like the deputy of Christmas of Roswell. (laughs) Well, and then she announces to the crowd the horrible nickname that she has been given and i give the extras credit for all looking suitably uncomfortable when she says nobody laughs it's not funny yeah it's so weird but like clearly someone on this show realized because they directed these people like sit there and look uncomfortable right they realized like this is a thing that will make people uncomfortable invoking nazism as a joke is not cute let's do it anyway yeah what you doing jason what you doing bud so did you guys notice when Liz goes up to Max to, like, tell him about Sydney or whatever, did anyone notice there's, like, a guy in this, like, huge snowman costume standing behind them? No. Who just, like... I did not. He's just standing looking bored. Oh, my god! But, like, no. in this huge, like, clunky-looking oh. snowman costume. I was so focused on the ghost that I must have missed that. Yeah, I did not notice that either. It's funny. So the ghost shows up here and is like, looks like we have a plan. Thanks, Ghost, for that helpful exposition. Yep. <laughs> and his plan is that he wants to heal Sydney, and he gathers together his alien pals over at Michael's house to relay his plan. And Michael is the only one who is not okay with this plan. Yeah, I think it makes sense for Tess to support him. We've yeah. seen over and over again that she of just course she sides with him. It does yes. not make any sense for Isabel to no, support this. It Isabel does has not. been so opposed to all of this from the very beginning. Michael points out, you're going to leave a silver handprint. They all know that's going to lead back to them. They do say, well, Mm -hmm. the special unit records were destroyed, so maybe no one knows, but it's clearly a risk. Isabel has been very risk-averse up to this point, Mm -hmm. so it doesn't make sense for her to support this. Also, uh, pretty out of character for Max to bring everyone together and try to, you know, share what he's planning to do and see how they feel about it. Yeah, rather, I mean, but Michael even says, like, you had your mind made up when you came here. Like, you know, don't try and pretend this was a conversation between us. Like, you already knew what you were going to do when you showed up here. So just do it because it doesn't matter what I say or think because you already made up your mind. Yeah. And back to the Valenti house where Tess has set up the tree and we find out that the whole time she has been living there, they have only had two chairs in a house where three people live. Yep. And then Tess has been cooking for 24 hours and Jim and Kyle have just been ignoring her. No one has offered to help. Or she says, you two have been sitting on the couch like two beached whales. <laughs> yep. Bean. <laughs> so I'm on Tess's side. Like, they should have a chair for her. Until she's like, oh, by the way, I invited Amy Luca over and I didn't tell anyone and I didn't give you any advance notice. And also, I wrote her a note saying that Jim misses her. That's not cool. Don't do that. Come on, yeah. Tess. She also, you know, only told them that Amy DeLuca, DeLuca was coming as Amy DeLuca arrived. Right. By herself, 
without her daughter. Yeah, a little for weird. Christmas. But when when did Jim turn into such a, such a putz? He's like, oh no, I don't, I don't even have any clothes on. I don't know what to do. I don't understand how to have people at my house. And he's like, such a slob. The house is so messy, which it's never been before. Yeah. And he's also like kind of a jerk. And like, when did this happen? I mean, it's probably messy because like they finally, you know, they're they're finally staying in one place a little longer, so they've like unpacked everything. They've gotten settled. You know? mm-hmm. They've put their socks <laughs> yeah. on the Christmas tree in the garage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ooh, ooh, and then, and then in the next scene. Max breaks and enters yep. into Brody's house. Yeah, this is where I think we get evidence that the ghost is not just in Max's mind because the ghost okay. gives Max information that he does not otherwise possess. That's true. I oh. I do. I remember oh. thinking that when it happened, I was like, "How does Ma- like Max didn't even go to the bedroom and see that the kid isn't there, and the ghost is just in his head? How does he know?" But I glossed over it in my brain because I didn't even think of that. I did think that, and then I didn't go along with my logic of uh, the ghost being in his head, and so I forgot about it. The ghost lets Max break into this house, doesn't stop him, just shows up inside the house once Max has committed the crime to be like, yeah, they're not here. They, she got rushed to the hospital. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm, my, my, I'm still processing. <laughs> oh, okay. My Process mind is like away. still kind of blown from this, because it also does make sense that a ghost would have, you know, information about, like, oh, you saved right. Liz Parker. and Because, you know, a ghost, like, ghosts, I don't know, it's all in the singularity. They have all the in information. In this particular episode, we seem very clear that Christian God is real. Mm-hmm. So. Of course, yes. God told him. Right. Okay. So the ghost tells Max that the little girl has been taken to the hospital and presumably also tells her where the hospital is because when Max goes over to Michael's apartment, he knows that she has been taken to a hospital in Phoenix. And I can't imagine anyone else would have given him that information. Also, why? Why is she in Phoenix? So he says that she had a relapse, which I don't think is accurate because she wasn't in remission. Yeah. So it sounds like she had some sort of acute medical emergency. And they took her to a hospital that is a 10-hour drive or a two and a half hour flight away. Maybe she got, I mean, maybe that's where the special, like, maybe that's where the cancer specialty is. And she had to get airlifted. But for an emergency? Yeah, you don't do a two and a half hour airlift for an emergency. So I assume like maybe this is where her care coordinators are. Like maybe her primary parent lives in or near Phoenix and that's mm. where she goes. Mm-hmm. Like that's where her doctors are. But like, Well, uh, you know, 10 hours somehow becomes maybe 30 minutes on this show. Yep. Because these are things that happen on this show. And I think we have um, a little something just about that. And then we get something gross that happens. We go back to the Valenti house and Tess asks Amy and Jim how long they've known each other. And Amy says, since before she was legal. Yeah. Disgusting. And they're laughing. They laugh throughout this whole scene. So, okay, this is, wow. The first time they met, Jim almost ran her over while she was doing something with a fellow. The second time they met was when he arrested her. We've already heard about that in mm-hmm. horrific detail. Yep. When she was a teenager and he was a grown-up man in a position of authority over her who arrested her because he thought she, she was, was cute. cute. 
Disgusting. (laughs) And then the third time they met, he rescued her from an attic that was engulfed in flames? What? What? Did he take a short break from being the sheriff to be a firefighter? (laughs) You know what else is happening, though? Is Tess making three cheese potato gratin with bacon, which I literally um, then made on the weekend after watching this episode. It was delicious. I have never had that. It just sounded so good. I looked up some recipes and I made... uh, I didn't put the bacon on the bottom like Kyle likes. I did just kind of like mix it up in the gratin, but it was good. Just crumbles. Bacon crumbles. Yeah. And Kyle is like actually starting to appreciate the effort that Mm -hmm. Tess is making and not just using her powers to carve the turkey, but like the actual work that she put into this. Because I guess... She didn't just power all of this food there. She actually went through the slow process of making it by hand. Mm -hmm. Which, like, why? And found recipes for things that she knows they like, because she knows that this three cheese potato gratin is Kyle's favorite. Yeah, it's so thoughtful. Yeah. Did anyone notice the weird way he got out of his chair? Instead of, like, pushing his chair out and standing up like a normal person, he, like, gets up and then swings one leg over like it's like a horse i feel like that's a like a dude thing yeah he's like i'm a man i gotta swing my leg over to leave room for my giant man boots that's what he was thinking got it oh please don't ever say that again (laughs) sorry Anyway, Kyle then re- recovers from, from the weird chair moment by telling her, like, yeah, we've never really had the Christmas here. It's just two of us. He says, that's a really great gift you gave him. Both of us, I mean. Aww. Yeah. And he says, this is the best Christmas in a long time. So sweet. Also, so Amy is sitting in the desk chair that they had mentioned. Oh, Where'd no. the fourth chair come from? It's like a stool or something. I feel like Kyle is sitting on, like, a stool a stool or like something that they've propped up. Okay, I didn't see. Why would Amy be sitting on the desk chair? Give Amy a I know, chair, right? guys. Maybe the desk chair is the most com- comfortable one. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. It might be the nicest. And then we head to the hospital where slicking back your hair makes you a grown-up. Yeah. <laughs> and they have gotten to Phoenix very quickly. Mm-hmm. They have gotten into the hospital. They've gotten into the pediatric oncology ward. You would think someone at some point would have stopped them. And they have gotten to the one hall where every child with cancer in that ward sleeps in one room the all one together. The one room. Yeah. <laughs> They're all in one room. Yeah. Also, I can't say I've spent a lot of time in pediatric oncology wards, but just having like 15 kids in a room together seems like a dumb idea, especially because a lot of the, uh, a lot of the drugs that you take for cancer are immunosuppressants. And so you want to keep the kids in places where they're not exposed to germs all the time. Yeah. So this makes not a lot of sense. Yeah. I understand why they do it for the show. They need everyone to be in the room. But I was like, um, I don't know about this. I will say I was not a child, but being a person who has had cancer and been in the hospital for an extended period of time, not in the U.S., though, in a different country, the cancer ward that I was on in Japan had up to eight people per room. Who oh are, And God. it was an, specifically of an oncology unit. So everybody in my on my floor had a gynecological oncology issue. Do we think, then, that this means that somewhere there are a bunch of rich kids in private rooms who didn't get their cancer healed? Yes. <laughs> oh, no. Mm-hmm. Aw, poor rich kids. Hmm. 
Max heals Sydney first. She is like, what? What's going on? And Max is like, you're dreaming, Because that always works so well. So yeah. remember when Max was healing Liz and he was like, look at me. Look at me, Liz. You have to look yeah, at you me. You have to look at me. So Sydney, he's like, close your eyes and fall unconscious. Yeah. I don't need you for <laughs> Go this. back to sleep. No, he just wanted eye contact with Liz because he thinks she's hot. Yeah, sure. So he gets he gets the flashes, though, mm-hmm. which we didn't see him get with Kyle. So what the heck? I want to see those those Kyle flashes and know know. what the significant moments in Kyle's life are. Um, I did learn from the commentary in this. They like debated on how to do the flashes and and if they wanted to do the flashes. But all of the kids that all the child actors they were doing, they were able to get footage from their actual parents for release of them as actual kids so they could try it and they liked the outcome so but they had debated with like how to signify the healing and stuff and because they were able to get that footage from the parents they were able to go that direction yeah it's cute and then max goes on with the uh, silent encouragement of the ghost and keeps healing the kids and one of the little girls is like are you an angel are you an angel Ugh, that's the director's daughter voice. and he's so proud of her in the commentary he is so proud he's like the next one the next one's my little girl yeah. that's my daughter and then like when she says the line he's just like oh oh Aww. yeah and we have the song the jane sibbery cyberry i don't know i think know. it's sibbery calling all angels is the song but, and that's was played. that the original one too it is yeah yeah, yeah. they are not being subtle yeah and this is also an interesting i found most of the commentary for this episode to be pretty boring honestly i like it better when it's actors um doing the commentary but anyway uh jason kadams mentioned that this is like one of his favorite songs of all time and this is what he envisioned for this scene and he really wanted this song for this scene and initially when they applied to i guess it would be the record label it was denied and he ended up uh reaching out to the singer directly and showing her we really want to use this song this is what we want to use it for like here is the clip and she ended up being like she ended up agreeing to it. I'm really surprised that she was able to overrule her label. Right. If the if her label had the rights. Yeah. Or I mean, or it didn't get directly to her initially, but like he was so attached to having that song that he ended up making contact with mm-hmm. her directly and getting permission to use the song after other avenues. I do think it fits. It does, yeah. Yeah. I will say what I what I was like, okay, this nurse who Michael is like, no, everything's fine, whatever. Yeah, I don't have a name badge and you've never seen me before, but don't worry about it i was like oh of course like this guy just tells her to go away and she's like fine but no no she's like no i'm coming back with the police yeah <laughs> yeah she's not just gonna be like oh yeah sure so max is like super duper sweaty healing all the kids michael's trying to buy him time the security people are at the door and michael prays if there's a god please help us now yeah so weird and god builds a window in the wall of this hospital. Yep. So that they can jump out the window. And God also, I guess, moves the oncology ward to the first floor so that they don't hurt themselves. And uh, then the, the cops come in and the kids are... The kids who were all asleep in their beds like two minutes ago 
are all jumping up and down on the beds and playing patty cake. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Michael isn't the only one who thinks that God is responsible uh, for the miracles of this episode because we see a TV playing in the Evans house where the parents of all of these kids, I guess, uh, all of the kids' cancer is gone. They all have a mysterious silver handprint, but mm-hmm. they prayed every day and God spoke and cured the cancer. Philip Evans comes through with like, yeah, but they were also on an experimental medicine regime. So like maybe that? Right on, Philip. But Diane is insistent on having faith that it was God. Yeah. Divine intervention is what happened here. Yeah. And like, of course, dramatic irony. She's like, Yes, that hand imprint, That if that isn't enough to get you to believe in God, I don't know what is. Well, meanwhile, the person who left the hand imprint is sitting there at the table yep. with her. <laughs> and she thinks this is going to convince Max to go to church with them tonight. And this is, uh, again, where we have this idea of Max as a God or Christ-like figure. It's not the first time we've seen this. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Probably won't be the last. And then we head back to Michael's house, where uh, Maria is calling him Space Boy again, our favorite nickname. So cute. And she smells a weird smell and and finds the Jetta bumper, which was not dry yet, so it still smells like, I guess, metal cleaning chemicals? I don't know. Yeah. Well, she also, like... The whole thing with Sydney made her realize how stupid the gift thing is, and, like, she was overreacting, and, oh, you got me a present? Terrific. And then, like, doesn't realize that the Jetta is the pre- the Jetta bumper is the present and still wants a romantic present. Yeah. Right. She's like, oh, you got me this. This is so thoughtful. It's so thoughtful. Where's my real present? Where's my present? Yeah. It's like, you just said you didn't need one. And how thoughtful the bumper was. Yes. And it, it, it sucks because for a second there, you're like, oh, my God, he was right. It is thoughtful. Like, she's so happy with it. And she is, but still expects a different present. Yeah. And there is one there left by Isabel who has signed the note with that thing. I like when I was looking at this, I was like, man, like probably none of these characters has ever met a Jew. So like they don't realize how offensive this is. It's like, yeah, Jason, mm-hmm. Jason Katims of Jewish ancestry. Come yeah. on. Sherry Appleby. Yeah. Yeah. Also a Jew. Yeah, one of her parents is Israeli. And her there's mom. that random scene where there is literally a Star of David on display in her bedroom. But it's oh, never yeah. referenced. Yeah, no, it's not ever referenced. It just is probably just one of those like cultural artifacts that her anthropologist grandmother looted before she died. Yeah. Such a cool lady. Bad yeah. episode, but cool lady. And I guess Maria opens the gift so fast that she doesn't see that the label is very clearly not in Michael's handwriting. She doesn't care. (laughs) She just wants a gift. And she says, these are the most beautiful earrings I've ever seen. They are literally just pearls. They're beautiful because they came from him. Yes, they're beautiful, but they're no different than like other pearl earrings. They're just like, they're just pearls. They also don't seem like her style. This does not seem like something Maria would wear. But they're real pearls. Isabel spent a lot of money to get her secret girlfriend a nice present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even if she couldn't be the one to give it to her. We never find out when Maria got Michael. I'm really bummed. Yeah, good point. I know. Did she get him anything? Did this gift exchange just go one way? She better have. Yeah. Max comes to the window and they have this little exchange 
where he's like, thanks for telling me about Sydney. And she's like, cool, are you better now? And he's like, yeah, that ghost guy went away, uh, which he didn't completely. He'll be back in the next scene. Also, Liz says, why did you do it? Like, save other kids other than Sydney. Really? Yeah. And she's like, so he says, how could I not? How could I not use my gift? Which, like, you don't use it every day. Like, there are, this is not, these are not the only children with cancer, Max. Like, terrible things happen to people all, all the, the time. time and you don't use your gift. And so Liz is like, well, that's really beautiful, but you you can't keep going like this. And then she starts talking about how, like, it doesn't seem like there's a reason that horrible things happen, but maybe there is. Maybe God just really wants terrible things to happen and you have to respect that. Like, I really curious what like religious christian people feel about this because i feel like liz's argument is weird weird and like makes god seem mean i am from a christian upbringing and liz's explanation is still weird to me because i feel like my feeling slash understanding i am agnostic but when i was in it to win it as a youth that there is a higher power, but we have free will and freedom of choice. So that higher power is like kind of removed and lets us like live out our life in our own way. Like either he's controlling the strings and making us all puppets or he's not. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah. so I understand that like this argument that everything happens for a reason. I know like this is a thing that's that's out there. Ugh, that people I hate believe. that argument. I do too. But I also feel like people who who say it don't present it in the way that Liz does, which is just like, sometimes you just have to let children die. Whatevs. Yeah. God wants it that way. <laughs> this is where we get the callback to leaving normal, where Liz says, you're not God, Max. You're the one that told me that. And so again, this is where I have the questions about how Max knows whose time it is and how, right. like, what is the balance that he's restoring and who is in charge of that. Maybe it's just that, like, people shouldn't die of anything other than old age. I don't know. Because she's the only one that he's been like, oh, I can't help because it was it's her time. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like she still had a few good years left in her. He didn't I know, know. She wasn't like old, old. No. She's like, what, in her 60s? Like, come on. She's fine. Like maybe 70. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Max is the only one in this episode who does not believe in God. As far as we're told, he's the only one who doesn't believe Although maybe that changes a bit by the end, which I think is really interesting that the one who has the most sort of what we think of as godlike powers doesn't believe in God. Mm -hmm. There's probably something to explore there. Yeah. And the ghost is back. Mm -hmm. Hey, ghost. He's not haunted anymore, though. The ghost is friendly now. No, he's a closure ghost yep. now. And Max is also seeing him because Max, once again, has gone to his family's house and is standing outside. <laughs> so creepy. Oh, and then I love this, like, this this goodbye to the ghost where Max is like, I'll be there for your family if they ever need me, which, what, buddy? Okay. They don't even, they don't know who you are. Like, no. <laughs> and then the ghost tells him to go be with his loved one and says, that's where I'll be. That's where I'll always be. And then he, like, dematerializes from the porch, rematerializes inside the house, and then dematerializes again. Is he just going to go haunt his family now? <laughs> yeah. Yes! I, I mean, I do like that they had him, that, like, the, the time when the ghost was saying goodbye, I like that it was at his house. Mm -hmm. That he was, like, going to, like, you know, watch to over his family, his family or whatever. Instead of yeah. Max. <laughs> yes, to haunt his family. <laughs> 
So Michael's going to church. Yes. And he says he's had his prayers answered twice in the past two days. One of which we saw very clearly when he was like, yo, God, help us get out of here. Mm -hmm. And the other, we assume, is the present for Maria that was left not by God, but by Isabel. Yeah. But also, this is a moment... So in this scene, Michael says he's pissed at Max and we get worried for a second. He says he's pissed that he couldn't help. And this reminded me of the end of season one where Michael is so upset because he feels like his gift only brings on death and destruction and Max has this ability to heal. Yeah. And Michael, I mean, Michael's clearly jealous, right? Like he clearly has some feelings about himself and what this means about Mm -hmm. him. But I also wondered if Max had ever made the effort to show Michael or Isabel what he does and to try to see if they could do it as well. So like we know that Tess worked with Michael on blowing up rocks with his mind. Mm -hmm. So the aliens aren't just like stuck with whatever powers they have. You can develop them. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like with training, maybe they could at least explore the different powers that they have and what the uses could be. I feel like that one, like a healing power, it's worth, you know, putting in some effort to try to find out if you could do it. Yeah, it's pretty dang useful. Yeah. Also, Michael's hair is really getting kind of long. Yes, it is. And he's looking very Mrs. (laughs) Brady-like with the little flip by his neck, you know? Yep, yep. Michael has a Christmas present for Max, which is being creepy together, looking in the window (laughs) at Brody and his daughter trying to enjoy a nice family moment without a couple of peeping toms outside. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. And the Christmas service, instead of being, like, at a church in town, is, like, at this weird outdoor amphitheater that we have never seen before in the before-unknown town square. But okay. Yeah, it's just, like, they're like, well, we already put up this stage for the pageant, so it's a it's a church now. And, like, I guess it's Roswell. They weren't, well, I don't know how cold New Mexico gets in December, but they probably weren't expecting the really bad CGI snow yeah. that ended up falling at this time. I know, what is this, immense? (laughs) So the chorus at this uh, midnight service is actually really good. Um, You want to know why? They didn't have a budget for a choir. The singers are the composer and his wife, and they uh, recorded themselves singing multiple different harmonies, and everyone else is just lip syncing. Uh... And the composer and his wife are two of the people that are in, they're like at the front of the choral lineup that's why their voices blend so well it's like all the same two voices that was another fun little bit from the uh from the commentary that's terrific Uh, i thought the groupings here were really interesting jim is like wearing a tie he's smiling over at tess he's smiling over at amy maria and michael are sitting together isabel is sitting with her parents and then max shows up and walks Right past his family. And goes and sits with Liz. Well, he kisses his mom. He gives his mom a kiss, but then goes and sits with Liz. But it's just like, they've been begging him to come to Christmas services. They're so excited to see him. He finally showed up and he's like, bye-bye. Gonna go sit with the girl I like. I'm gonna go sit with my not-girlfriend. But Liz is sitting alone, so that's kind of nice of him to go sit with her. Like, she's by herself, presumably because her parents are working at the crashdown serving turkey dinner to all of the atheists. Or cleaning, or I guess it's midnight service, so perhaps they're cleaning up from the big yeah. rush of people that they already served turkey dinner to. Yeah, and uh, Liz says, I thought you didn't believe in God. And Max responds, I believe in, in you. Aww. Cue the bad CGI snow. Yeah. yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. And then the very uh, 
90s, early 2000 thing where they're like, we care about stuff. Go to the WB.com to help fight pediatric cancer. We're good people. Yeah. Yeah. I have a big unanswered question mm-hmm. for this episode. Yeah. Where is Alex? Alex. Everyone is in this episode. Everyone is in this episode. Yeah, even parents. The Yeah, both of the Evanses got together. The Parkers didn't show up. But we got Diane and Philip. Did they just run out of budget? Could they not afford to have We got both Valentes, who haven't yeah. been in a bunch of episodes recently, but here they are. What's going on? Where is Alex? He's not even mentioned. Like, they could have just thrown in a line and been like, oh yeah, Alex and his parents went on that Christmas Caribbean cruise or whatever. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of other questions about this episode, but they're mostly like, what? Huh? What? Why? <laughs> well, I have a question for y'all, and that is, who is your pick for hot and saucy for this episode? I know who mine is. Now let's see who's hot and saucy. Who's yours, Lorena? Mine is Michael when he buys the super wonderful gift of a bumper for Maria. Because as he states, it does cover all of the bases of what a gift should be. It should be thoughtful. It should be something the person wouldn't get for themselves. And I think that the gift is super thoughtful. And that is my hot and saucy moment. Uh, My hot and saucy pick for this episode is uh, $7.95 all you can eat turkey dinner (laughs) because it's hot and hopefully there's sauce involved. Yes, cranberry sauce, gravy. Gravy, exactly. My pick is the wardrobe department for putting together that lovely assortment of coats for Maria. I enjoyed them immensely. Nice. Let's cover Lisa's predictions as well. So, Lisa, the next episode, episode 11, is called To Serve and Protect. What do you see happening for our heroes and heroines based on that title? Uh, Does Jim finally go back to work and we find out if he's still the sheriff of Roswell? Because the last time we saw him doing his job was in Meet the Dupes when he pulled them over. Didn't realize that they were entirely different people from the kids that he's known for their whole lives. So yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll see him doing some sleuthing in the next episode. And uh, I also wonder if there will ever be repercussions for him uh, befriending the aliens and uh, helping them out with all their troubles, both legal and extra legal. So I guess we'll find out next time. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for this episode. We'll be back in two weeks on Tuesday, February 9th with season two, episode 11, To Serve and Protect. You can follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Roswell Hot Sauce or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Roswell Hot Sauce. As always, you can find show notes and more info at roswellhotsauce.com and you can email us at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com. Pass the Hot Sauce is produced and edited by Ashley Hollett. Our theme music is by David Belcourt and our logo was designed by Billy Marie. Until next time. I deny everything. 